Welcome to season three of the Book Marketing Action Podcast. I'm your host, Becky Robinson. This season features exciting guests, real conversations, and actions you can take to reach the biggest possible audience for your work. During season three, we're also featuring an inside look at the launch of my new book, Reach, with a special daily podcast series coming April 18th to 22nd. We hope you'll subscribe today so you don't miss a single episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast. My name is Becky Robinson, and I'm so happy today to finally meet Pam Slim after following her many, many years online and watching her journey to her latest book, The Widest Net. Welcome, Pam. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to have you. So before we get started, for those who may have not heard of you, could you tell us a little bit about you, where you are in the world, the work that you do with your clients, and of course, about your latest book? Absolutely. So I am a business coach and a writer, sometimes about once every six or seven years. <laughs> and then I'm the co-founder with my husband, Daryl, of the Main Street Learning Lab, which is located right in the middle of Main Street in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, I have two parts to my work. So by day, normally the work that I do with clients are with a lot of authors, thought leaders, people who are at a stage where they're really wanting to scale their work. So sometimes I help them build licensing or certification programs or really grow their audience. And a lot of what we do here locally is working with our local ecosystem, brick and mortar businesses, local community partners, in a whole variety of things, more just to get more people come into Main Street and, you know, kind of frequenting our downtown area. So for me, it's a really fun mix of the types of activities that I do on a daily basis. Pam, I love hearing about the two parts of your work and related to that downtown area. I understand you have a very famous couch. We have a very famous couch. It's actually the color of my sweater for anybody who might be seeing the video recording in the podcast. The story of the couch is that after we got this space up and running, we actually did an Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. So we had all kinds of community support for getting furniture and everything here. It was a few years into us being here and I was walking down the street to my favorite cafe, Jared's, a few doors down. And there was a brand new vintage furniture store that was opening. They actually hadn't opened their doors yet. And I looked in the window and there was this stunning turquoise couch that was just a beautiful shape and color. It was just singing to me. And I knew that we were completely out of budget for furniture because we had spent it all. And so jokingly, I took a picture of the couch and on Instagram, I posted, uh, what a beautiful couch. I wish that I were really the niece of Carlos Slim, who's a very famous, wealthy Mexican businessman whose last name is Slim. And I posted the picture by the time I went to the cafe, got the coffee and came back, people were actually trying to send me money via PayPal to like help chip in. I was not making a call for investment at all. The next day I went to the, to the space to just get a little closer look to the couch. I went in, I was walking around it and the owner said, well, you know, it's yours. And I thought, well, this is some kind of a sales pitch. And she goes, no, at an anonymous donor, called last night and they paid it was $2,700 to pay for that couch. And so to this day, I don't know who that person is, but it is such a beloved 
piece of furniture here. And what we've seen over the last five years is literally hundreds of businesses launched. We've had people that sit and dream on our whiteboard from that couch. And, you know, we've seen books be written from that and new spaces open. So to me, it just symbolizes the beauty of working together, of collaboration, and just sometimes unexpected things that come in and support you. Wow, what an amazing story. I'm so glad we had the chance to talk about it because I have read about it since I follow you online, but hearing you tell it just brings it to life in such a new and powerful way. So thank you. Well, let's talk about your latest book, Pam. You recently launched a new book, The Widest Net. Will you tell us what the book is about and why you wrote it now and why it matters to you? Yeah, I I define myself as an author practitioner. So I write about things that I know based on work I'm doing with clients. It's just the way my brain thinks. I It's really important to me to notice the kinds of things that my clients might be struggling with and then to try to figure out, is there anything that somebody has already written or a model they've already created that would be helpful? If not, then it begins to plant the seed for me in terms of working on a bit, you know, something like a book. And so for the widest net, it really does dovetail with the earlier work I did around body of work, my last book, because body of work was really this love letter to creation, helping people really understand what is that work that I want to do? What do I want to build? What kind of work mode is the best fit for me? And usually when people get that clarity, they have the vision for what they want to build. The next natural question is, how do I get customers? How do I build my audience? How do I create a movement? And what I was seeing a lot in the business environment, the way that we talked about building an audience was what I deem in the widest net empire culture. So we literally use terms like I want to build my empire. People who are authors, you know, in your audience know sometimes even from publishing companies, you get that view that you need to be an influencer, you need to really be positioning yourself as the sole expert in order to be successful. And part of what was puzzling and incomplete to me, first of all, I am not a fan of empire language. Of empires historically have been things that were very beneficial for a few people on the top and generally not beneficial for anybody else. So in the very inclusive, diverse community building we do here at the Main Street Learning Lab, like I didn't wanna use a model of empire building and colonization uh, with, our, with our community. And really the reality that I found that really is the method that the book is based around is instead of centering ourselves and trying to bring everybody to us, I center who is an ideal customer or an ideal reader and you identify the ecosystem that surrounds that person. And by ecosystem, I mean all of the support services, organizations, media hubs, all of these things surrounding your ideal client that are helping them to solve whatever problem it is that that they solve. You are part of that ecosystem. And when you look at this as an audience building method, I think it's much more efficient to identify these watering holes, these places in person and online where great amounts of audience has already been built by somebody else. And so strategically, first of all, there's a collaboration of people working together to support your ideal clients. And secondly, especially for something like a book launch, just having gone through it, when you can really identify of all the places where I should spend my energy marketing my book, what might be the highest leverage? Who would be natural partners to work with? You know, who might be companies to work with where maybe my book is a perfect fit for something that they're doing for their customers? So that's really where the method comes from. And I 
you know, workshopped it for years and did a lot of really deep dives with my clients, uh, many of the stories of which I tell in the book. Well, I did notice as I was watching your journey to market the book, Pam, that you did a reverse on the book tour. Mm -hmm. And you shared that rather than doing the book tour after the book came out, you did the tour before in order to do these interviews and incorporate these real stories. Do you want to share a bit about that? Yeah, it was, I don't quite know what possessed me to think of it that way. I was actually sitting on my sister's porch. She lives in a really beautiful Northern California town called Lake Almanor. So I was looking out over the lake. It was the summertime. And I just got that thought, instead of taking a book out on the road once it's written, what if I were to workshop the ideas in the book where in places where I had already done prior book tours and I knew that I had some connection with, you know, my community and my readers around the country. So I put a post on Facebook and said, hey, I want to do a tour. I called it the Unbook Tour with a little nod to my friend Scott Stratton, who wrote Unmarketing and Unselling. And I asked people where I should go. And I basically just mapped out from that Facebook thread groups of cities. So I do the Bay Area, Portland, Seattle, Vancouver, Canada, or I do, you know, Sioux City, Fargo, Chicago, Minneapolis, you know, things like that. And so I took the book around, I, I took the idea and the framework around to many different places. It was, it, it's vulnerable because it certainly feels better once everything's nailed down with a book to be talking about it, but it was so valuable to gather the information. And actually a core part of the book, which is the ecosystem model came out in the second stop on the tour, which is at Duarte in, in Silicon Valley, an amazing design firm. And it really was in response to trying to explain a concept to somebody who was in the group. So it really was a lot of what I've done that's been so fun about this book is that I did the book tour using this community building model where I challenged myself to not pay for any spaces. I think I ended up paying for just two spaces because um, it just, the way that timing happened, we couldn't arrange it in other ones. Not because I didn't want to pay money, but to challenge myself to find a mutually collaborative way in which I could be hosting a workshop at an organization or a startup space that would be beneficial to their community and mine. And I just was trying to use every element of the model in that book, um, what became the book, as a way to, to demonstrate how it is that you can build community and build ideas. I actually didn't know when I did the tour in 2015 that we would end up opening this space here. It really was frankly because of inspiration I had traveling around the country and noticing the power of brick and mortar spaces that actually inspired us to open the space here. And then in the last five years that we've grown this space, we've also used the model in the book as a, as a method for doing it. So it's been very, very powerful to model what the book is about while writing it and while living it. Well, and it sounds like you were willing to be patient to write and live the book. You know, if this idea started to emerge in 2015 and the book launched in 2021, you really gave a lot of space for those ideas to grow. And I think that's something that uh, some authors that I've worked with sometimes miss. Like, it's okay to take time to discover the value that you have to offer. That's right. I know everybody is different. I certainly know people who are really professional journalists or writers where for them, it's about thinking about a compelling idea and they might have a much quicker writing process where they're not practitioners. I just find for myself, it, it I, I have to really test the ideas in the real world. And especially when 
I'm using them toward a passion I have, which is supporting small business owners. I really want to make sure that the ideas work in the world. And then I think there's just every author knows it can be frustrating sometimes. I mean, believe me, I, I thought that I wanted to have written it many years ago. It was, it did feel like it took a long time, but now that I actually look at the time in which it's coming out, there does feel like somewhat of a perfect order because it's just really in alignment with a lot of the bigger trends that are happening out there in the world. Well, I'm glad that it is landing at the right time. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about what might have been different with the launch of this book compared to when you released your earlier works, including the body of work and the first book. Escape from Cubicle Nation. Yeah, that was the Ah, first one. So I feel like with Escape, which was my first one, I got my first book deal based on my blog. And I started my blog in 2005. I think I got my book deal in 2007. And at that time, it was blogs were really popular. I was really lucky to catch a wave of a time where I really was able to build quite a substantial audience through my blog. And the way that books were marketed those days, there was a lot of um, good buzz that you could get from other people who recognized my my blog as being in the space, just had a lot of readers. And so there was a natural built-in audience. For the second one, for Body of Work, it timed in a in a time when I actually that I turned in my manuscript and the next day I started working with Susan Kane who's the author of Quiet which is a beautiful book she has a new one coming out called Bittersweet which I cannot wait to read but her book Quiet was a very powerful multi-million copy selling New York Times bestseller and I started working with her to build the Quiet Revolution which was really this growth that she had from the book to to help implement the ideas in the world and because of that, you know, I, I did my best of email marketing and, you know, doing all the things one does. Like we as authors, we just post about it and share emails and I was on podcasts and all of that. I feel like for Body of Work, because I did so quickly get immersed and excited about building somebody else's business for my client, that I probably didn't put quite as much energy into the marketing of it than I would have liked to. But I'm happy the book was out in the world. With this one, I do feel like um, everything about the way that I operate my business, that I work with my clients, the whole story of what it is that we're building here at the Learning Lab, and then even the way that we we did the initial um, launch of the book, everything is really intended to highlight and reinforce the concepts in the book. It, it, the, the widest net is really a method. So there are 10 steps in the method and they're a chapter for each. So it really is one of these things where you see where the pieces begin to fit together, kind of setting your foundation for audience building, doing specific things to analyze the ecosystem, like where are these places where you could market, in this case, books, And then the last portion of it is really what are ways you consistently begin to seed those connections and really operationalize, you know, getting the book out in the world. Um, But because of that, like I, I just have so much fun and I just feel like it's, it feels more fun and authentic to be really using the method that's in the book for marketing it. So it's not that all of a sudden I'm doing this other activity and then trying to talk about the concept of the book. So like, for example, we did, a lot of people do uh, more like an ambassador group. Maybe you might ask people to raise their hand and say, essentially, yes, I will help you market it. I'll write an Amazon review or I'll, you know, kind of encourage you in the launch. In this case, in the framework of this book, it felt like it was a bit one-sided, that it was definitely beneficial for me as an author. But 
I didn't really see so much of a benefit for people participating in that. So we created what was called Launch Lab for about the nine weeks leading up to the book. I really shared with folks key concepts in the book that would support what they were launching. I ended up inviting who I call the main characters in the book that where we would have real conversations about some of the stories that were in the book to bring it to life. And it was so inspiring to me. I felt supported by the group, but the group told me after it also was something that felt much more mutually beneficial. So I just try to be as meta as possible of like using the model in everything I'm doing for marketing. You know, I actually saw that on Facebook and considered signing up because I thought it was such an interesting approach. And it's interesting to hear the aftermath of how that all came together for you. So what do you think worked best for you with the campaign? Um, I feel like the, the part that I have enjoyed the most is that it did not feel massively stressful. I didn't feel like I was having to become another character in, in order to do marketing. It didn't feel like a burden. I really tried to choose activities that were naturally aligned with connections that I already had with people. Um, I, I worked earlier in the process, I think, on certain marketing plans and really seeding opportunities so that by the time it came for um, getting the word out about the book, then people were ready. It's just, I am a connector by nature. I do have lots of long-standing relationships. And so it, it had some ease, I think, related to it that way. But I think the most important thing, the perspective that I have on this, and every author is going to make a different decision about it, First of all, supply chain things were so wonky during this launch that I had all kinds of the shifts in the date of the book launch. Uh, people ordered, they pre-ordered, but sometimes it was like a few weeks before they actually got the copy. So I knew that I couldn't fixate off of some date-specific launch activities. Thank goodness. Like I had no idea that was going to happen until closer to the launch date. But if I had aligned, you know, investing a whole bunch of money on a date in which we had to have the book out, it would have been disastrous. So my main focus was just in engaging everybody, you know, that had already been connected with me, doing things like having um, lots and lots of conversations on podcasts that I had really thought about you know, discerning and then just inviting people. I have a core philosophy always that I know when I first started, I don't only like look for podcasts that might have hundreds of thousands of listeners. It's really important to me to have a mix of people who are emerging, people who have, you know, small, medium and large audiences in order to get the exposure. Um, and then I think being able to ask the community of folks that were in Launch Lab, by the time we got through that nine week period where I really felt like I had delivered so much value, we had so much deep engagement, it was easier for me to say, hey, all right, could you now help me out, write Amazon reviews, share about the book and, and not have it feel transactional. So those parts all feel really good. Can you tell me a little bit about the size of that launch lab group, Pam? I think we had about 200, maybe 220 people in it. And so, you know, that's in the total group, it would maybe be fluctuating between like 20 and maybe 40 or 50, you know, each week, just knowing it's a weekly meeting on a Friday morning. So not everybody could attend live, but a lot of people did say that they watched the recording or listened to it afterwards. That is so powerful. So Pam, is there anything that you tried with this launch that didn't work as well as you would have liked? You know, I, I think 
it is surprising and I, I don't know you probably know the technical parts of this better than I do but it's really hard to get people to write Amazon reviews <laughs> like I, I right now I might be hovering somewhere around 25 I have to check and, and look I just sort of figured this would be an easy thing that I've had so many people that were engaged with the process with Launch Lab that it just would be a simple thing to have many, many people write the reviews. But in reality, I think some people intend to do it. They get sidetracked. In some cases, they get caught in Amazon's whatever review algorithms and stuff. I think especially because of all the moving dates with the, the timeline of the book that in some cases, Amazon was like, not counting the fact that people had ordered it and you know other confusing things so it was a little bit perplexing and you know i've asked a number of times i i my friend michael bungay stanier who wrote the coaching habit which has ended up selling i think now close to a million copies i love that he was so consistent probably for over a year where like as the footer for every single email that he had anytime he was on an interview he constantly was reminding people in order to do a, a review it pushes me to the extreme edge of my comfort level because in general i just it's not comfortable for me to continue to ask somebody to just do me a favor but i am committed to really putting the work in to get people to take action do you find that's a common difficult thing to get people to do Oh my goodness. Yes. You know, you're saying this and I'm nodding. So quite often what will happen with me is when I meet a prospective client who's an author and I talk to them about doing an Amazon mm -hmm. ad campaign, they'll say, oh, no problem. I can get 50 reviews. My friends will do it. And then months later, they come to me and they say, well, that was not as easy as I thought it would be. What we see with our launch teams is that we get about 10 to 30% of people who say they'll do a review as part of a launch team who will actually follow through. Now on some titles, we might push 40%, but it does take a lot, a lot of work. And I'm thinking of another Pam, Pam McLean. Uh, she wrote a book called Self as Coach, Self as Leader. And what she decided to do is every week to ask one person, personal ask in order to get those Amazon reviews to come in more consistently. But yeah, I feel that Pam, every author I know gets uncomfortable with continuing to ask for help. So I will do it for you. If anyone is listening <laughs> and you are a Pam Slim fan and you came to this podcast yeah. um, and you've read the book, could you do me a favor and could you take five minutes? And it doesn't have to be a long review. It can be a couple of sentences. Tell people the value that they're going to get from Pam Slim's book, The Widest Net. And all of those reviews provide incredible, important social proof for Pam as an author. So would you do that for me today? Okay. I did that. Thank ask. you for that. that. I was, <laughs> I so appreciate it. And I would say when people read the book, cause that is important to me to write an honest review. <laughs> yes, of course. So let's talk a little bit about what's next for marketing the widest net. So this episode is going to air in January and your book's been out a couple of months. Um, I am sure having watched you over the years that you have a long-term commitment. So what mm -hmm. does it look like for you next as it relates to marketing this book? Yes, I have this book marketing that's tied to every part of my marketing plan and just my general business plan. So actually in this month, we're recording in December, um, we are working on a specific set of classes, cohort-based classes that or part of implementing the methodology around, you know, one class on developing partnerships, another one on tiny marketing actions, um, 
retreats, live retreats here for people who are doing like us local community building, movement building, you know, entrepreneurs. And so that to me is always part of really having alignment with the book where a, a core part of what it is that people will do when they're getting a class is to read the book as a reference. The other thing is more in partnerships with associations, with companies. I do a lot of work with um, software as a service company, so companies that provide applications that we all run our businesses on. And so I have a number of speaking engagements that are set for next year where there'll be hundreds of those company marketing teams in a room. And that's an example in the context of the widest net that's an amazing watering hole for me because I have um, when when I can be connecting with a company that might have millions of customers, get them excited about the book and the ideas that they can then market to their customers, that's where you start to get a real bump effect. And those are some of the longer tail activities where it's everything from speaking, once speaking comes back a little bit more, you know, in person and, and, and virtually, where um, I could be speaking at the conferences for some of these software companies, that's often a fantastic place for me to really move a lot of books. And so that's the way that I look at it. And always having more of a constant rotation of doing new podcast interviews, um, we will be doing some more focus, what I'm calling super classes. So topics that are deep dives about some of the core ideas of the books as just ways to expose people. And then of course, on the back end is a follow-up email for those who haven't yet gotten the book, we'll put a little nudge in a promotion for people to buy a copy. Awesome. So Pam, would you be willing to share with us some of your most valuable lessons that you've learned about book marketing over your career and now releasing three books? I think the biggest one is probably that it is never, ever, ever too early to think about building connections and building community around the ideas for your book. A lot of the way that people think about book marketing is in a very transactional way, understandably. You just, you want to move a lot of copies. You might look strategically at who, where are the best podcasts to be on, or how can you get people to be sharing on an email list? In my experience now, 25 years in business, it really is based on relationships. Relationships take a long period of time. Um, and I all, it, it's really important to know, even with people who are very, very close friends, I'm lucky that I know lots and lots of authors. I have them as clients, some that are super successful authors. It is so critical for me whenever I'm um, talking to them about a book that I absolutely have an open invitation, both for them to share about it, but also to not share if it's not a fit for their audience, because that can get into really sketchy territory where because you might have a close friendship with somebody or they're a client, you make the assumption that they're actually going to like your book and that they're going to share it. I always want, no matter who it is, like the people who might be doing an Amazon review, like somebody I might know who has a really large audience, I want to make sure that they are being discerning for their audience. And for whatever reason, if my book is not a fit, I don't want them promoting it. And sometimes people get confused saying, ooh, I have these relationships, I know these famous authors, and so I'm just going to tell them to market my book and they're going to do it. And they may be surprised when not everybody says yes, and because they're not thinking about people really discerning for their audiences. So it just, you need more people in your network than you think. Um, 
it takes more time to plan and prepare like the background materials and the team that you need in order to be supporting you in a launch. It is something that strategically takes a long time. The other thing I'll say is these days, and please correct me if, if, if you have a different experience, but it pretty much is down to a money game these days. Like if people really want to be hitting huge lists, if they want to be hitting the New York Times or Wall Street Journal, in general, it means that you're going to be investing a lot more money to do that in, you know, hiring people to help you do it, which can be a fantastic strategic business decision where that hitting the list is really important to you. I think sometimes people don't realize that it's that's not necessarily what's going to what's going to dial into the long term success of a book. I look at how can this book over a two, three, five year period of time be really worked into the topics that you're talking about in your business model so that you have more of a long tail experience. And I find a lot of publishers have more of that of that expectation, you know, so I've, I've known people who spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to hit one of the big lists. And it is heartbreaking when they don't because there's so many factors that are totally outside of your control. I am completely aligned with you on all of that, Pam. Um, and, you know, it's, I love what you said about, you know, being open to the fact that your book might not be a fit for all the influential people, you know, that's a really important lesson. Um, so thank you for sharing that. At the end of every episode of the Book Marketing Action Podcast, we always want to leave our listeners with some action steps, things that they can do immediately to grow a bigger audience for their work or to reach more readers with their book. And a couple of things are standing out to me, Pam, from what you said. And one of them is this idea of having open hands as you approach people to support your book, of really, you know, getting in the mindset that some people will want to promote your book because it aligns to their audience and other people won't. And so I want to encourage you, if you're listening today, um, to just spend some time thinking about, about that. And Pam, do you have any tips for how to really make that shift of thinking, well, of course, everyone will promote my book to like, you know, my book is for some people. Any any tips as people try that action step? Yes, I think the the context of the action step is trying to find places where you intimately know the focus of your book and really who it's for, where you do look at where are those places for your ideal reader where they are connecting already in order to, you know, get support around the topic of your book. So one specific action step you can take is to be asking people who might be, you know, your current clients or people you know that's a fit for that, of what are their ideas of the best podcast to be on, the best events, the best, you know, associations or groups that they work with. The other thing which goes to this philosophical idea of you really looking at just trying to find the best fit. And it, to me, it's more of a values perspective where I always want to be super proud about what I'm doing, clear about the kind of offer that I have, clear about the ideal audience, and I want to build partnerships based on, based on mutual benefit. So with that value, you do your job, like our job as marketers of our book is to show up and make a really clear case <laughs> to get people excited about it, to make those scary asks, to have people, you know, endorse the book, to make the scary ask, to be on a podcast. But then after you do that, to really track your progress based on the fact that you've taken those actions, not based on what the response will be. 
it is a philosophical shift where you can say, I did it. I reached out to the 10 people on my list, you know, today that I needed to connect with for book marketing. I have done my job. And then the results that are totally outside of your control are going to do their thing. Some people say yes, some people say no. The next day you wake up, you do the next 10 things. That over a long period of time is the most predictable success because you have a, a, a smooth keel emotionally. And where I see it, people get really caught for you know clients is where they are just leaning in way too hard on what are the book sales numbers or what are my pre-sales or did I get a yes on speaking at that big event or did somebody invite me for the podcast? And you can send yourself into a tailspin for valuable days or weeks or months on end. So try to not attach to outcomes. I know it's not always easy, but it is really the path to long-term sustainable book sales. Well, and maybe that's enough of an action step for today to remove yourself from those outcomes, whether it's asking for help and not getting it, or yeah. you know, whether it's the supply chain issues that put your book delivery in flux. It sounds like you've had to adjust and adapt to not holding out uh, onto outcomes throughout your journey on this book. That's right. But every week when I look at my calendar, I actually have a color code for book marketing related activities. So I have like a light purple for anything that's a podcast interview or some opportunity I have to market the book. And so every week, I just need to make sure there's a good mix of light, light purple activities there. And that's where I can say, I have done my job on behalf of the book. I show up fully, you know, and in those moments, and then I move on to the next week. I love that. Well, Pam, thank you so much for investing part of your day to share with our audience about your book. I know your book is a fit for our audience. So I hope those of you who are listening will go buy Pam's book if you haven't already. Um, I think it will be a great compliment to my book, which is coming later. Um, I hope you'll read them together um, because I do think that, you know, Pam brings a, a different perspective, but we're both trying to achieve the same outcome, which is helping you reach the biggest possible audience and have the biggest impact for your work. So if people are listening and they want to stay connected to you, Pam, where are the best places for people to find you? The best place is at PamelaSlim.com. That's where you can find out what I'm up to, any kind of ways to work together. Um, LinkedIn is also a good place if anybody wants to reach out there. I love to connect with new folks on LinkedIn. Perfect. Thank you so much. And as always, if you have any questions, you can always contact me. I'm Becky at WeavingInfluence.com. And I look forward to being with you next time. Thanks so much for investing some time with us today. If you're looking for additional support on your book marketing journey, join us for the Reach More Readers Workshop, a virtual interactive event designed to give you an overview of digital book marketing strategies and tactics to help you reach the biggest possible audience. Find out more at weavinginfluence.com slash reach workshop. 